You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, Anarchist World This Week, on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of Community Radio Federation in Melbourne. My name is Elfie Scarron, hosting today's program. Just in case you don't know what to buy your family for a Christmas present, Anarchist World This Week, 3CR T-shirts. I'm sure they'll get the tongues wagging at the Christmas table. So... If you want a T-shirt, and they're running out fast, we only printed 100. If you ring Marion on the front desk on 94198377, she'll take your order. 94198377, that's Marion uh, at the front desk at Community Radio. Oh, and if you're listening to this outside of Victoria, put 03 before that number, 03 94198377. I mean, this is, a, this is a way of me trying to clear my debt with Community Radio 3CR. So you get, you get a T-shirt, Anarchist World This Week T-shirt. for them. I think it's 35 bucks plus postage. I know it's a lot of money. But the T-shirt is made in Australia, screen printed in Australia. It's made by unionised labour. And you've got to pay for that type of stuff. You want a $5 T-shirt, you go to your local supermarket and, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the fruits of some exploited worker in uh, Bangladesh or Pakistan. Now, if you wonder what anarchism is all about, anarchism comes from the the word anarchos, without rulers. An anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power and which give access to people to society's wealth. So it's about sharing power, sharing wealth. Nothing radical about that. And with 8 billion people on the planet, do you really think that the private investment for private profit mantra which dominates every second of our waking and sleeping hours is somehow going to provide for 8 billion people on a planet with finite resources, with increasing greenhouse emissions, with an economy based on the private investment for private profit mantra. Think again. Think again, boys and girls, because that's the issue. People say, oh, we've got 8 billion and then we'll have 9 billion and then we'll have 10 billion and then it'll start to decrease. The fact is, 
population may decrease before then because of the effects of the climate emergency, because of the effect of uh, disputes between so-called sovereign nation states. And it doesn't take much to destroy living organisms, have we seen, you know. Two days without water, you die. Six weeks without food, you die. It's very simple. We're flesh, blood, bone. Bag of salty water at the end of the day. And it doesn't take much to puncture a bag of salty water. So I find it extraordinary that in 2022, with increasing population and finite resources in a climate emergency, that we continue to worship the private investment for private profit philosophy. And nothing highlights this more than the uh, state election campaign that's uh, going on in uh, Victoria currently, and I'll talk about that later on. But if we want 8 billion people to live on this planet and 10 billion people to live on this planet, we need to be involved in social and political and cultural movements that are talking about sharing power and holding wealth in common. Because, see, as human beings, we seem to forget that it wasn't competition which allowed us to become the dominant species on planet Earth. It wasn't competition. It was the fact that we were one of the few animals that was able to cooperate, to work together as a team in order to survive. So it's that collectivist, cooperative tradition which has allowed human beings to not only survive but prosper. But that collectivist tradition has now been subverted by a private investment for private profit mantra. And one thing which highlights this is, and I keep talking about this, one thing which highlights this is what's happened in the last 40 years during the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation, tsunami which has hit us. And that is that 40 years ago, if you were lucky enough to have disposable income, and you're an investor, and you're invested in something, including the stock market, and you made a buck, 33% of that buck that was created because of your investment dollar would go back to you, and 67% would go back to the people who created that wealth. That's right, you just don't create wealth by clicking a finger, although a lot of people think you can create artificial wealth by being involved in the cryptocurrency scam. But that's another story. So it doesn't work that way. It just does not work that way. We can't... Today, 40 years later, if you're lucky enough to be an investor, you've got disposable income, which you put in some type of investment vehicle and you don't get ripped off, well, if that investment vehicle makes a profit, 67% goes back to the investor and 33% goes to the people who created that wealth. So that equation has been turned on its head in the last 40 years for four 
very good reasons. And I'll go through them again because it's essential to our understanding of the type of society we live in. And that is deregulation. Now, those of you who are involved in election campaigns will always see candidates, political parties, media outlets, so-called, you know, commentators talk about how it's important to deregulate the economy. What that actually means is all those rules and regulations which have we created through struggle over generations to protect people involved in the workforce are removed. All those regulations which have been put in place because of struggles of generations to protect the environment are removed. And they're removed for one very good reason, to maximise profits for the private investment for private profit crowd. Keep the state out of our affairs. Keep the elected officials out of our affairs. Let us just get out there and make a buck. We don't care. We just want the freedom to exploit, the freedom, you know, to do what we like in order to increase our own personal fortune at the expense of everybody else. And when you see a billionaire, most people genuflex and say, Hallelujah, brothers and sisters, look at that billionaire. He, he or she got there through, well, you know what they say. When I see a billionaire, I think, there goes a robber baron. There goes somebody who's exploited our commonly held wealth. There goes somebody who exploits people in order to maximise profits for themselves. And that's what deregulation is about. Let them go ahead, make as much money as they want at your expense. Corporatisation. The great thing about Australia is it is a corporatised society. You look at every field of human endeavour, whether it's hardware shops, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's provision of private health services, you, whether it's aged care. When you look behind the scene, those areas are dominated by three or four large corporations who have a super highway to the, to the Australian Treasury. No bells and whistles, no red lights, just go into the Treasury, take what you want, because you're doing it on behalf of us. What a load of crap. That's what corporatisation is about. And that's the beauty. You travel around Australia, it's the same insignia, the same signs, the same corporations. It doesn't matter if it's regional Australia, rural Australia, urban Australia, CBD Australia. I mean, when you walk into a shopping mall, it's the same brands. And if you're a small business, well, I've got some bad news for you. 90% of small businesses fail within five years in this land, which is strangled by corporate greed, which is assisted by governments, which are hostages to the corporate sector. Then you've got globalisation. Well, globalisation is what I was talking about when I spoke about the Anarchist World This Week T-shirt, which you can buy by ringing 039 419 8377. Ask for Marion or ask for somebody at the front desk and they will take your order.
Now, these T-shirts cost $35, okay? Now, half of that money goes to the people who produced the T-shirt. It is not produced in some slave labour conditions. The T-shirts are manufactured in this country. They're manufactured by unionised labour. The screen printing on the T-shirt is made by small business, which is also unionised. So if you want a decent society, you need to make a decent return to the people involved in creating that profit. Now, 50% of the money you pay for a T-shirt goes to helping to pay for the costs of the anarchist world this week, which we're listening to. 50% goes back to the manufacturers. Now, we could have had a little T-shirt made by a sweatshop in Bangladesh or Pakistan or Colombia or wherever, and we could have had it screen printed overseas, and we could have flogged it to you for 15 bucks or added, made it 30 bucks, and, you know, made a huge profit. But that wasn't the thing. That's what globalisation is about. It's about exporting local work overseas. And you see this constantly. Now, I notice my friends in the Commonwealth Bank just made a profit of $2.5 in the last three months. And I know how they made that profit. They've closed down local branches. They force people into using digital banking because it maximises their profits. They retrench staff. And the list goes on and on. But the reality is that if you export that work overseas to a low-cost country, you like that? Low-cost country, you know, a real country where there are no unions, where people are exploited, where people are given, you know, a minimum, minimum wage for their efforts, maybe working 12 to 14 hours. That's a low-cost country, boys and girls, a low-cost country. So obviously, globalisation, to a significant degree, as far as manufacturing is concerned, as far as goods and services are concerned, is a burden for everybody. And then we've got privatisation. I love privatisation. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Qantas was a publicly owned company, when the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory was a publicly owned company, when we had extensive public housing, especially in Victoria and New South Wales, where it's been privatised hand over fist, where telecom, Telstra, whatever you call it today, was a public company, when gas, electricity, publicly owned. And why were they public companies? When the Commonwealth Bank was a publicly owned bank. And why were they publicly owned? Because people had fought for generations to escape the clutches of the private investment for private profit crowd, if something was publicly owned, what it meant is if there's a profit was made from providing an essential service, that profit went back to the Treasury. Now it's the other way around. They're all privately owned or private-public partnerships and the profits flow into the pockets of private investors and usually the major shareholders of these companies. And we work and slave and if you don't work and slave you're on a social security benefit you look at every cent where it goes trying to exist private investment for private profit deregulation privatization globalization 
corporatisation. No wonder in 2022 we find ourselves in this situation because, let's be realistic, most people love the system. Most people don't see themselves as victim of the system. They think if they play the game, work hard, obey the law, pay their taxes, hallelujah, they'll be living in a land of milk and honey. Unfortunately, in the good old days, the poor inherited the earth, six foot of it. Today, we can't even afford burials. 85% of Australians get cremated. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, that brings me to the Toscana for Mulgrave campaign. Now, the Toscana for Mulgrave campaign is not a campaign to get me elected as the member for Mulgrave. That's not going to happen, all right? The Toscano for Mulgrave campaign, which is actually Mulgrave is the electorate which the Premier, Mr Daniel Andrew, has been a member of uh, uh, since 20, 2002, is designed to put pressure on the Labor Party to abandon its corporate mates. Now, interestingly for Mr Andrews, he finds himself in a, as the Premier of Victoria, he finds himself in a difficult position because his corporate mates who he and the Victorian socialist left faction of the ALP has been hobnobbing with for the last eight years, have turned on them. They've knifed them in the back. They can smell the blood in the water. They can see the extreme right, you know, the crowd that, you know, worships, worships at the altar of Mammon, the private investment for private profit crowd, and their hangers-on is in the Liberal Party, you know, looking at the possibility of gaining power. And why has this happened? Why is it so, would say Dr Julius Sumner Miller in the old days? Well, it's very simple. The Australian Labor Party has become the alternative Liberal Party. And the policies, especially in Victoria, that have driven the party forward have meant an alliance with construction corporations and alliance with big business while at the same time doing a few, a few single issues, dealing with a few single issues, uh, hoping against hope that the Victorian people will continue to vote for them. Now, I'm sick and tired of this construction for construction's sake mentality. What really got goaded me into standing as a candidate in elect in Mulgrave, and I'm one of fourteen, you know, one of fourteen children in Mulgrave. What was when Mr. Andrews and the Victorian Labor Party, the Victorian government, came to an agreement with Transurban, one of the greediest co corporations on the planet, to give them another forty years exclusive right to levy tolls on a tunnel which they've made billions of dollars with because they're going to build a $2 billion tunnel, extra tunnel, which they've got the right to you know, use for another 40 years. And when the Victorian ALP privatised the Port of Melbourne, could you imagine that? When they privatised most of public housing in the state, you know, they said... 
Oh, we want community housing, affordable housing. Just bloody privately owned housing under another name. It's outsourcing the state's responsibility to provide accommodation. And I could go on and on. The privatisation of the tra- of uh, the titles office. So, we're getting a little bit of a victory lately because I've seen that the Victorian Labor Party feeling the heat and knowing that their so-called erstwhile mates, the corporate sector, especially in the construction industry, is baying for their blood, hoping against hope to see them removed from government in Victoria and have this reactionary government take place that, you know, worships at the foot of Mammon, the private investment for private profit crowd, they've got to change their policies. One, they're going to reintroduce publicly owned energy resources. Well, that's the thing. And secondly, I've even forgotten what the second thing was. It's so irrelevant. But, you know, they're, they're looking at things. You know, they're saying... Well, maybe, maybe as a Labor Party, we should have started looking at the interests of our real friends, the people who've kept voting for us, the people who've hoped that something would be different. So this is why I'm standing in Mulgrave. Now, standing in in, in an electorate that's not in the CBD is an interesting experience, and I've done it before. It's an interesting experience because it, it highlights how different, different parts of cities are, especially cities like Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and Adelaide, we know of millions of people. And what I found extraordinary about the Mulgrave campaign is how many far-right political parties and individuals are involved in these campaigns using weasel words like freedom in order to ingratiate themselves with the electorate. And these people are well organised, they work very hard, and they have an agenda. And their agenda is to continue the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation mantra, which has paid such rich dividends for their corporate mates. Now, this campaign that I'm running is both reformist and radical. It's reformist in terms of advocating for things that, you know, the socialist left of the LP should be bloody advocating. Food security, things like food vouchers, $150 a month for adults and $75 a month for, you know, children. To augment, on social security benefits to augment their income, but only to be used in micro and small businesses. So it actually assists micro and small businesses survive. It also provides much-needed food security for people in the state of Victoria. Energy security, instead of building, I don't know what the ALP wants to build, but instead of building huge mega farms, solar farms, You can actually build within the cities and the regions smaller networks which can provide energy, decentralised energy sources, which can provide energy for 10, 20, 30,000 homes and businesses. Public health. We've forgotten what public health is. The pandemic highlighted how little interest 
our little resources were devoted to prevention of disease. Public housing. If there's one state in Victoria, in, in Australia, that has been at the forefront of privatising public housing, it's Victoria. And to my chagrin, it's been the Victorian Labor Party which has pushed this agenda, believing that if they privatise the public housing sector, they can wash their hands of the current housing emergency. And it's not just a housing emergency which affects people who are on the margins, who are homeless. It's a housing agenda which affects almost everybody in this state, in this public education. I know you're bored with me telling you I have tears in my eyes every time I see a Smith family advertisement, especially in Victoria, calling for people to privately support kids going to public school so they can actually not only achieve something but actually have the same access to learning as their other counterparts whose parents may be in better financial circumstances. I mean, this year is the 150th anniversary in Victoria and the world of the introduction of free secular compulsory education. Victoria, as a result of the Eureka Rebellion, was the first state, the first part, first colony, whatever, in the world that introduced these policies. And within a year of these policies being introduced, over 650 public schools were built. And now, 150 years later, we have private charities rattling the can to send our kids to public schools. Give me a break and recreation. I know you all love going to Bali. Unfortunately, as the convener for the West Papua and Wren Collective, I'm not welcome. Um, the thing is that a lot of people live a hand-to-mouth existence. 30% of Australians rely on Social Security benefits to survive, which barely cover living costs. And in many situations, don't cover living costs. So here's another radical policy, which is really reformist. Everybody living, everybody deserves a holiday. Every four years, every adult earning less than $1,000 per week will receive a 1000 accommodation travel voucher and every dependent child receives a $500 accommodation travel voucher to be used in the state of Victoria. Once again, assist small business, lets people have a little bit of a holiday. I mean, that's the great thing of living in a capitalist society, in a private investment for private profit uh, uh, region. The great thing is, you got the money, you got the disposable income, life is rosy. You ain't got any disposable income, you've got no way of borrowing shit, well, boys and girls, you're in big trouble. Now, obviously... Some others of the other political parties will be talking about things like this, but the radical nature is how do we fund this? And this is what really gives corporate Australia a headache. Now, there are many candidates who can get their picture on their face on television. They can tell us about how some slug ruined their business. Now, every day, every day, and I'm not exaggerating, people ring me up. I see people who've been screwed over, screwed over by the system in many ways. And in the majority of cases, there's nothing that can be done. And why there's nothing that can be done? 
because people don't have the resources to fight back. They don't have the personal resources, the legal resources, the financial resources, and they basically get eaten up by the machine, spat out, and for the rest of their lives, they never get back on their feet. Now, obviously, some people have the resources to fight back. But when you see a candidate who has those resources to fight back not actually have policies regarding the rest of, Australia, rest of Victoria, you begin to wonder. And when you look at these people's preference lists, you know, you know where their ambition lies. So how? How do we fund these policies? I know this is a bit radical. This is so radical, I'm almost falling off the... Pa- Do you know that when you buy a house... Now, I'm sure most of our listeners you know, have got that second house in Portsea. That's the way it is with listeners to the Anarchist World this week. You know, we're a very, 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 very well-heeled group. You know that. I know that. We're very well-heeled. We may have five or six properties, including one in um, in Sydney, but we won't tell anybody about that. So how do we fund it? Now, do you know when you buy a house, you've got to pay stamp duty to the state government? That's right. Sometimes you buy these days, you get a for a million dollars, you get a three bedroom dump somewhere in the outer suburbs. I'm not talking the outer suburbs of dumps, but the actual the way the housing is constructed. You know, you may pay fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars on top of the price of the house to stamp duty to the government. Now you would think now I'm obviously I'm stupid. That's why I'm talking to you on the anarchist world this week, because I'm obviously stupid. You would think that if you levy a tax on housing, you would use that money that's right. You would use that money to actually provide housing for people who cannot enter the private housing market because they don't have the resources. Well, you know, it doesn't happen that way. The 7 or $8 billion that is raised every year in Victoria and in the rest of the country goes into consolidated revenue. Now, 50%, 50% of that stamp duty revenue was earmarked not for affordable housing, not for community housing, not for social housing. It was earmarked for public housing. You could house 100,000 Victorians every year in spot-purchased homes across the state. You could house a million Victorians in public housing within a decade. And what does that do? It introduces, I'm going to use a word that my capitalist, private investment for private profit people love, competition. Well, they don't actually love competition because they hate competition. That's why you have the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission to ensure that the corporations at least pretend to compete, like our friends in the Commonwealth Bank, who just made $2.5 billion profit in the last three months. So what happens if you've got competition and you've got a strong public housing sector? Guess what? Investors have trouble finding people to rent their homes. The cost of housing in the, in the private sector decreases as more and more people go into public housing. Prices drop. Young people can actually enter, the who are in employment, can actually enter the housing market and begin the struggle to pay off a house. In the 70s, 
a single wage earner, you know, responsible for a family, could pay off a house in seven years. In 2022, well, you can leave your mortgage to your children and then they can leave that mortgage to their children. That's where the privatisation agenda has got us. So public house, that's a bit radical, you know. It's doable. It takes a simple majority in both houses of parliament. Now, this is something else that people don't like. A 1% super land tax on land holders, individuals, businesses and corporations who own more than $5 million of property in Victoria. God, that would hurt the 1%, a 1% tax. One cent in every, you know, in every dollar. Oh, terrible. How about, now a lot of corporations don't actually own property, like the Commonwealth Bank, they're not stupid. How about a 1% rent tax on individuals, businesses and corporations who pay more than $5 million in rent annually? Mm. And then there's the really smart business operators, the virtual platforms, you know, the new gig economy, the non-unionised, free-for-all, exploitive gig economy. How about a 1% turnover tax on businesses and corporations who use virtual platforms who pay minimal rent and payroll tax if they have a turnover of more than $5 million annually? Well, you've got an option. Do you want the same tight old policies? Well, just keep voting the way you continue to vote. If you want positive human-focused reforms, look at the candidates, spend some a bit of money, I mean, a bit of time, looking at the candidates' policies. Now, it's very interesting. You know, the Toscano for Mulgrave campaign, there are 14 candidates, about seven or eight of what I describe as bodgy candidates, candidates that have been put in by uh, other people standing in order to dilute the vote. It's very interesting. Now, the other interesting thing I found in the Toscano for Mulgrave campaign is while the Greens are fighting the ALP in the inner city suburbs, we find that the extreme right, under a num- number of banners, is now trying to win the hearts and minds of people outside the CBD. And my feeling is they're getting a little bit successful at this. So, I need feet on the ground. Let's be realistic. I need feet on the ground. Now, if I want this campaign to continue, we need to have people at pre-polling centres. And currently I'm having difficulty filling those slots. Now, I'll be there most days, but obviously one person can't do much. We need a few more people. So if you're interested in going to one of the pre... If you're interested in going to the pre-polling in Mulgrave, it's at uh, 578 to 598 Princess Highway in Noble Park. Look it up on the website, Toscana for Mulgrave. If you turn up, we'll have some stuff for you to t- hand out at the pre-polling centre. If you really are interested in helping and put feeding on the ground, give us a ring on 0439. 395-489 will give you all the information and the material necessary. Pre-polling will continue from the 15th, which is today, of November, right till the eve of the election on the 25th of November. Now, the interesting thing about pre-polling is about 30%, 90% 
maybe even 40% of Victorians will pre-poll. Because the Electoral Act has been changed in Victoria to allow people to, without any excuse, to go into a pre-polling centre. So a pre-polling presence will reinforce the good work that's already been done by the Toscana for Mulgrave campaign, where we've put stuff in over 90% of letterboxes in that electorate. It will reinforce that thing. And then obviously there's the 26th of November, and there are 17 polling booths in the electorate of Mulgrave, and obviously I'll need about 30 people to cover that. So, if you're sick and tired of being a click activist warrior involved in pointless discussion with idiots, well, then I suggest you consider spending a few hours at a pre-polling booth and seeing what the real world is like. If you're sick and tired of watching the same repeats on your television or your prepaid television, whatever you watch, well, this is another way of getting to see what's happening in the real world. So as I said before, individuals can only do so much. If you're interested in those policies that I've outlined, well, give us a call. 0439 395 489. Leave a message, contact phone number, and we'll catch up with you. Obviously, without that assistance of the pre-polling booths, a lot of the effort that we've put into this is going to decrease. And the whole point is to, is to dilute the message what is being given out by the extreme right in many electorates in Melbourne. They're well organised, very well financed, and do have people who've got their feet on the ground. We don't. We need feet on the ground. If there is one thing that this program will highlight is how important it has feet on the ground in order to influence political debate. Because we have now seen the Victorian ALP understand, finally understand, their mates are not corporate Australia. They need to understand that it's the people that have stood by them and the Greens and the Animal Justice Party for years that need to be looked after. Not only those people, but if those policies are introduced, then we will be in a position where we can actually influence the thinking which is occurring in this state and in this country. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, via the Community Radio Network. You can go to um, 3cr.org.au. The program is a podcast. You can listen to the podcast if you wish. If you don't want to listen to the podcast, well, that's fine. Go lie in the sun and enjoy yourself, all right? I don't listen to podcasts. I'm doing things. Now, let's move on. Now, Eureka Day. Ooh, it's around the corner. What a busy week. What a busy, what a busy fortnight. Eureka celebrations have now organised for the 3rd of December. They're in Ballarat, and I'll speak about them at length next week. It's on a Saturday. That's right, Saturday. Believe it or not, all those of you who are working, who don't work on weekends, it's a possibility. 4am dawn ceremony at the corner of at Eureka Park at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street. And why at that position? 
Well, when you come to that, when you find the place, you'll see these cannons, and these cannons were placed there by the Victorian government in 1884 to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion. What a funny present. But this is where the Eureka Centre is about 200 metres away. This is where the survivors of the Eureka struggle believed that the Eureka Stockade was. So we have the dawn ceremony there. Now this year, for the first time, this is the 21st time, the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations have organised these celebrations. We have now formed an alliance with Ballarat and Western Regions Trades Hall. Because if there is one a group that needs to keep the spirit of your life, the radical spirit of Eureka alive, it's Ballarat Trades Hall. It is their bailiwick. It is their backyard. And they are more than willing to form this association. Because with time, people like you and me will disappear. But the Eureka story will disappear unless there are people that are willing to celebrate the radical elements of that story. It's not a story about mining licence. It's a rebellion based on direct action, direct democracy, internationalism and solidarity. And all those concepts are encapsulated in the Eureka Oath. So there's the dawn ceremony from 6am... Sorry, from 4am to 6am. That's right, 4am to 6am, which we'll be holding in conjunction with Ballarat Trades Hall at Eureka Park. Then after that, communal breakfast. That's right, communal, cooperative breakfast. Bring some food, bring some coffee between 6 and, you know, 9am. Then at 10am we meet at Bakery Hill. Bakery Hill, or what's left of it, a little roundabout, a little roundabout there that's left, courtesy of the Builders Labourers Federation, who in the 1970s placed a green or a black ban, green black ban, on development of Bakery Hill by McDonald's. Although McDonald's is just next to the roundabout, at least the roundabout, there's a bloody flagpole with the Eureka flag on it, and Bakery Hill continues to exist. So between 10am and 11am, maybe 11.30am, we'll be handing out six Eureka Australia medals to six individuals whose lives and the activities they've been involved in encompass the ideas and the spirit of the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. Then from there we'll meet at the Old Ballarat Cemetery at midday to pay our respects to those people who are buried in the mass grave at the Eureka Cemetery, and we'll speak about that. And from there, we'll make our way to Trades Hall for a late lunch and drinks, which are provided by the Ballarat and Western Region Trades Hall. That's non-alcoholic drinks, just in case you're getting excited. And then from there, at 3 o'clock, I'll be doing a... um, Discussion. I'll be leading a discussion on the Eureka flag, which is housed in the Eureka Centre. Now, on the 3rd of December, there is free entry into the Eureka Centre. You don't have to pay a cent. And after that, if you're still around, just a late lunch or an early dinner or at Eureka Park. Again, bring your own food and um, drinks to share. 
So no Eureka dinner this year, but next year we'll definitely have a Eureka dinner. So it's up once again it's up to you. We provide the structure for the celebration. We don't cater. We provide the structure. We're interested in the story, not just because it's some historical story, but because the ideas that are encapsulated in the Eureka Rebellion continue to be important in society. Direct action, direct democracy, internationalism and solidarity, they continue to be major building blocks of movements, political, social and cultural movements which are based on the principle of holding wealth in common, sharing that wealth to provide for the needs of everybody and for the introduction of a more sophisticated form of democracy based on a delegate system. And that's what what the Eureka Rebellion rebels modelled their story. And remember, I said last week that on the 11th of November was the formation of the Eureka of the Ballarat Reform League, the organisation behind the rebellion. Now, if you can't make it to Ballarat, relax. Put up a Eureka flag or even draw one on a piece of paper and put it on your front yard. Just show people where your allegiances lie. And for all those people who think that the Eureka battle is over, it's not over. It's a continuing battle. We have elements in society who have no understanding of the historical significance and the actual facts. Because in 2022, it's all about alternative facts, lies, slanders. And all those people who think that Eureka has anything to do with racism or Eureka is all about small business, well, think again, boys and girls. You got your story right. And you think, why are we doing it? I'll tell you why. Because there are no Eureka celebrations in Ballarat. The Ballarat City Council, a conservative reactionary mob, has never, never, never flown the Eureka flag on the main flagpole. I said main, M-A-I-N flagpole on the Ballarat Trades Hall. They trade, they make bloody money by using Eureka symbols, Eureka Ballarat businesses, Ballarat Universities, the Ballarat City Council, but they show no respect for the people who made the ultimate sacrifice for those principles. They show no respect, but they're willing to rub their fingers together and make a buck out of it. How hard is it to put a bloody Eureka flag on the main flagpole in Ballarat on the 3rd of December? How hard is it? Is that. It's not very hard at all. Not very hard at all. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. And if you're interested in real time political struggle, how about the West Papuan Independence Movement? Why don't you support them? On the 11th of December, at the West Papuan office at 838 Collins Street, that's right, in Docklands. We'll be holding an end-of-year gathering, auctioning stuff. But more importantly, why don't you join the West Papuan Rent Collective and continue, allow them to continue that struggle. There aren't many, there are no West Papuan offices around the world except for the one in Melbourne. As the convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective, it's one of the 
I feel great pride in the fact that we have been able to pay the rent. You, not we, you have been able to pay the rent on that pivotal office in the West Papua independence movement struggle for the last eight years. That's right, eight years. Irrespective of the suppression that continues in West Papua. So that's on the 11th of December. So put that in your diary. And then don't forget the 20th of January, which is a Friday, which is a Tanaminawe Mulbohina commemoration at the corner of Franklin and Victoria Street in Melbourne, the Tanaminawe Mulbohina Monument. All those regular listeners to the program remember the long struggle that the Anarchist Media Institute instigated in order to see this monument erected to the Frontier Wars to mark the execution of Tanaminamaya Wayam Mulbohina on the 20th of January 1842 for resisting white colonisation. We're in the process of uh, finalising the guest speaker list and um, later on in December we'll be able to tell you what's going on. But put it in your diary. I mean, it's a great day for kids. Learn about our history. Learn about our past. A people, a society, a family that doesn't know its history will never be in a position to understand the present and change the future. That's what all these things are about. These aren't just, you know, celebrations for something that happened long, long ago or commemorations for things that happened long, long ago that have no impact on our lives. This is about recreating society in such a way that we not only acknowledge the past but we use those events to change the future in a positive direction, a direction based on the devolution, the sharing of power and the holding of wealth in common. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week. Now, do you like going to South Australia for a holiday? Hmm? Leading question is, do you like to go to South Australia for a holiday? I did. I used to. But guess what? I'm going to boycott South Australia. I have decided, after what I heard this week, that I'm going to boycott going to South Australia. I'm not going to spend one bloody cent in South Australia until they change their minds. Now, what I've seen happen over the last few days, is enough to make anybody sick. Do you know the Labor Premier of South Australia, I've forgotten his name, such a non-entity, has gone into a partnership with the Greg Norman Saudi golfing world. Hmm? You like that? Sports wash. Sports wash. We all know the Saudi family is a bit concerned about the fact that maybe in 20, 30, 40 years when you and I are gone, that oil will no longer be important in this society, in the world. And they're trying to reposition themselves. Now, the Saudi regime, which is a love child of the USA and Australia, we love to criticise the Chinese, the North Koreans, you name it, we'll criticise them. But when it comes to the Saudi Arabians, one of the most evil governments on the planet that continues to execute people publicly 
for social crimes that continues to bomb the shit out of Yemen, we just say, ah, well, we shrug our shoulders and walk away. Well, this is a time that you can actually make a difference. Now, the South Australian government has signed a contract with the Greg Norman Saudi golfing tournament to hold a tournament there, I think, in April or March next year. All right? I think this is a great coup for South Australian tourism. Now, I have a little exercise for you, boys and girls. Just a little exercise. Why don't you write to the South Australian Premier and say that you and your family and your friends will boycott South Australia as far as tourist activities are concerned until they rescind that contract. Because for every action, there's a reaction. And we can't let this just go to the keeper. We just can't let this go to the keeper. And for the South Australian government, the Labor government, to actually allow this to occur is tantamount to a crime against humanity. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for Mulgrave. You can join the Feet on the Ground campaign and uh, join me at uh, pre-polling booths between now, the 15th of November, to the 25th of November, and then join me at polling centres in the electorate of Mulgrave on the 26th of November. Don't forget the Eureka celebrations on Saturday the 3rd of December, commencing at 4am. The West Papuan end-of-year celebrations and auction for the West Papuan Rent Collective. If you don't know what to buy your friends, Membership to the West Papuan Rent Collective for a miserable 365 days, 365 days for a, a year. Money well spent. You got that difficult uncle, that difficult aunt. You don't know what to buy them. Just buy them membership to the West Papuan Rent Collective. They get three meals for, you know, every time we have a, a do. All right, you've been listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Give us a call, 0439 395 489 if you want to join the Feet on the Ground pre-polling campaign for Mulgrave. Otherwise, we'll see you at uh, Eureka or we will see you at the West Park when due on the 11th of December. Now, I'd also like to thank all those people who turned up at Murchison last uh, Saturday for the Francesco Fantine Memorial. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World this week. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 
go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.